Welcome to You're Already Ready. I'm your host, Rachel Heron. I'm a novelist, a memoirist, and an all-around enthusiastic maker of stuff. Come along as I share these very short audio diary episodes that help remind me that I'm already ready. You are too, my friend, even though, just like everyone else, you're never going to feel that way. The only answer to this problem? You've got to make the leap and do the work and figure everything else out along the way. So, before we lose our nerve, let's go. Unfurling by Rachel Heron. I'm sitting in my graduate poetry seminar, the first one I've ever taken. Eight of us are in this small warm room that smells like old paper and dry erase marker. Outside the open door, fall is turning the Mills College trees red and yellow, and crisp leaves skitter past the door. The room is dead quiet. They're all reading my poem. Nerves leap like hungry goldfish in my stomach. Apart from a poem I entered into a contest in fifth grade, I've never shown anyone my poetry. But I'm passionate about it. My world for years has been Whitman and Keats, Oliver and Dickinson. As an undergrad, I fell in love with Milton. Strange, I know he's not that lovable. And Wordsworth, oh, he convinced me that sweet is the lore which nature brings, even though I never actually wanted to go out in nature. I just wanted him to sing to me of the glories of the outdoors without ever getting my feet muddy or ankles bug-bitten. So now, as the seven of them and my professor read my words, I wait. I'm the first to have a critique this semester, so we're breaking the ice with my work. I'm terrified, silent, and so very hopeful. The rules of critique say that the author can't comment as the professor and the other students discuss the work. Honestly, I'm grateful that I won't be allowed to talk, keenly aware that if I try to speak, my voice will shake. So I macrame my fingers into knots below the table and continue to remember to breathe. Finally, the professor says, well, what did we think? Annabelle raises a pierced eyebrow. Cute. I blink. Cute? I'd thought it was a lyrical song of pain. Michelle, a woman so cool I can barely speak around her, says, Very narrative voice. Everyone nods. Yes, narrative. So narrative. At first, I think this might be a good thing. I'm telling a tiny story, after all, about dropping a stick in a creek from a bridge and not seeing it come out on the other side, and what that says about expectation and loss. But as they continue talking, it becomes clear that no, to them, narrative is not a feature. It's a flaw. It's obvious a fiction writer wrote this, says Edwin, the only man in class. Fiction versus poetry in this MFA program is a thing. I already know that. That's the first thing you ask when you meet a new classmate. Fiction or poetry? The people who answer poetry always seem to say it with such confidence. They have ample assuredness that they know they're in the right place. Me, I'm nervous even to answer fiction, because all my professors say poetry is so difficult and therefore a higher artistic endeavor. Sure, novels are hard to write, but short stories are harder because you have less room in which to work. And poetry is hardest of all, because you have to say everything the novel does in the fewest words. Poetry, they say, is almost impossible. 
No one should attempt it unless they're ready to taste defeat over and over. This is surprising to me. Poetry has always been so easy to write. Words flow out of my pen, and I arrange them until they give me a little thrill. Then the poem is done. That's how I'd written this poo sticks poem that Michelle is now doodling skulls on. The poem flowed like the creek I wrote about. Then I felt the thrill, and then I was finished with it. As they tear each line to shreds, deeming this word easy, but not in the way I use it, in the flowing gentle way, and that word simplistic, I want to curl up in a spiral of shame under the long table. When I'm finally allowed to speak, I have no idea what to say. So I just squeak, thanks, I'm just a fiction writer, I guess. They guffaw in agreement, and I hear the scorn in their laughter. I am just a fiction writer. They know it. And now I do too. I don't let much shake me. Stubbornness is how I get things done, and it's one of my biggest strengths, as well as perhaps my biggest flaw. If someone says I can't do something, I prove to them that not only can I get it done, but I can get it done faster and better than anyone else ever has in the history of humanity. But that class, it shook me. That entire program, in fact, knocked me out of writing for years. The critique for fiction was just as cold and vicious. I knew I was a good writer. But even there, I was clearly commercial a four-letter word in literary circles. My narrative was narrative. I told stories and I told them well. So I could, quote, learn how to do this thing called writing, end quote. My thesis advisor made me read Carol Mazo, an experimental writer who traded in fragments at both the sentence and the story levels. Her sentences whirled ablaze around me, but I couldn't even get through her first book. I was knocked out by her prose, but I had no freaking clue what she was even talking about half the time. I didn't know how to strive for that. I didn't want to. So I gave up for a while. A long time, in fact. It was years before I started blogging, before I started remembering that I had a voice and that it was sturdy. I wasn't the most beautiful cow in the field, but by God, I was a good milker. But did I write a poem or two every once in a while? Not on your life. On the shelf in her bedroom, my mother kept a commonplace book of poetry that I worshipped. Her pretty penmanship caught poetry that she loved, pinning the words to the blue-lined thin paper. Every once in a while, there would be a poem that didn't have an author's name, but only a date. Those were the poems she'd written. One was a love poem, and it wasn't to my father. Holy crap, I wanted to know more about that, but she never gave up the goods. I copied the word poetry, exactly the way she'd written it decades before, into my own commonplace book, with small flowers as flourishes. I could still see the penciled lines she'd drawn over in pen. It wasn't her normal writing style, so she'd copied it from someone, just like I was copying hers. I filled the book with poems I found, as well as my own, but I was more vain than she was. I didn't leave a coy date, merely suggesting that I'd written the poetry. No, I practiced my professional signature over and over again on scrap paper, and when I was satisfied with its beauty, I signed each poem with a flourish. 
I entered one of those poems into that fifth grade poetry contest. And I won it. The photocopied collection of winners' work from different grades was just stapled together, but it was the first time I'd ever seen my words in print. The poem was about a piece of sea glass slipping away into the water. Hey, I sense a theme here. Winning the contest introduced me to the feeling that never really went away. That sickening, dizzying euphoria that someone was not only reading your words, but also looking into your soul. I kept writing poems all through high school and undergrad. I read poetry. I went to poetry slams, but was way too shy to get up on stage. In one day, that moment in grad school stripped all of it away from me. It took all I had to grit my teeth through the rest of that semester, and I didn't write another poem for 23 years. After a person sustains a wound, she often wants to hide it from others. So she makes herself believe things that aren't true in order to present a facade of, I'm fine, I don't care about that anymore. Look, is that a monkey? So I told myself a couple of lies to keep myself safely away from poetry. Lie number one, most poetry was silly. Silly poetry was scribbled by silly women about their silly feelings. Hello, my own misogyny bearing its teeth at me. I utterly loathed the idea of being seen as silly. Lie number two. The only good poetry was serious poetry. And good poetry, as we've established, was impossible to write well without decades of study. I didn't have those decades of academic wisdom. I had just put down words I enjoyed and shoved them around like a kid shuffling a deck of cards by splaying them all over the top of a dining table. I'd obviously done it all wrong. I loathed the idea of getting poetry wrong, something so important to me, even more than the idea of being thought silly. So I didn't write it anymore. I didn't even read it, not even the ones tucked in the New Yorker. I stubbornly read my way around those small blocks of what I wanted and wasn't allowed to have. Nowadays, at 48, I teach writing. The same existential writing pain pops up over and over again, and at least half of my students have been wounded similarly. At the risk of embarrassment, I'll admit that it never crossed my mind that the same thing had happened to me. Honestly, I'd forgotten about poetry entirely. It was just a fact about me. I had silver hair. I was five foot five. I wasn't a picky eater. I was a novelist and a memoirist. I wasn't a poet. Then something changed. I'm lucky enough to set up classes that suit my teaching style. Part of that style includes making friends with my students. One of my friends is Mona McDermott, who is as fine a writer as she is a person. If we lived closer to each other, I'd do my best to regal my way into her inner circle. She's a kindred spirit, such a bright one that she'd be recognizable across a misty field at midnight. Since I subscribed to her wonderful newsletter, oh, you should too, I learned she was offering a month-long poetry class called The Smallest Words. Poetry? Hell no. Unless... Okay, smallest was a word I almost felt comfortable with. And with a teacher like Mona, someone I could trust implicitly with my emotional and psychological well-being, I signed up, a nervous beat at my pulse. Here's what happened. 
my broken poet's heart mended. Mona led us gently forward, sending small lessons and lots of support. In class on Zoom, we wrote poems together, and then we were encouraged to share if we wanted to. I'm a Band-Aid ripper offer, so on that first day, I screwed up all the courage I had and forced myself to speak first. I knew, because I know Mona, that people would be kind to me. Obviously, I didn't expect grad school critiquing. But neither did I expect how much and how quickly the kindness worked to expose the old injury and heal it. If you'd asked me how much time I would have required to fix the place where poetry came from, I would have told you it wasn't reparable. I was so wrong. It just took four weeks of kindness. That was it. A month of Mona's gentle encouragement. A month of her not allowing us to apologize for anything, which in itself was a powerful healing magic. Four weeks of my peers telling me in Slack or Zoom that they loved this line or were moved by that one. She and the class showed me that I was allowed to write poetry. Not only that, they showed me I was good at it. The thrill that said I'd hit a golden poetry vein thrilled them too. And they too were extraordinary poets. Their writing sent goosebumps through my soul. We weren't laboring at it either. I don't think Mona would have let us do so. We were playing. It felt the way I remembered it had, just a simple act of joy. Setting words down and moving them around moved me into a state of flow that I didn't normally get into, even in deep revision. Time slipped away like that poetic piece of beach glass. I didn't want to stop. It felt heady and sweet and addictive and most of all, kind. It wasn't silly, though it could have been had I wanted it to be. It wasn't erudite, though that would have been fine too. It didn't require a degree or a lauded chapbook, though those probably wouldn't hurt. The poetry was us. We were the poems. We caught some poems and lowered them gently down onto paper where they could rest, other poems flew past in the shape of a ruby-throated hummingbird, or an unexpected kiss, or the most perfectly roasted broccoli. Just like that, I woke up. I snapped out of the spell I'd been cursed by. Mary Oliver said, To pay attention. This is our endless and proper work. I was paying attention again. The grad school critique's pain was gone entirely. And I knew that I'd always been a poet. I'd never not been one. It was like finding out that my dreams of childhood wings weren't dreams, that I still had them folded up under my shoulder blades, and with one shake I could unfurl them in all their stained glass feathered glory. That last line I just wrote is a poem too, because I'm still a poet, I can see it now. And I'm allowed to do the thing I love. To be me, I have to do it. Below, I share the first poem I wrote in class. I hope you enjoy it. But before you read it, I want to ask, what about you? What's the thing you're scared is too silly or too serious to attempt? Unfurl your wings, test the air with a flap or two, and then fly.
deserving. My poem deserves to exist. Breath and air from my center. Simple, yes, but the words have long been log-jammed and jackknifed, their metallic tangles twisted into wind chimes, jangled hopes hung from a rusted fence, a barbed wire halo I'm afraid to slip over the bird's nest of my hair. Still, my poem is worthy, and as amoral as sin on Sunday. It's hungry, having been starved inside my raucous heart, deprived of light, watching the others get sprung, one by one, books, as if any book had ever danced when the moon was high, when the river rose and twisted in ribbons of drift, as if any book had sparkled like glitter-coated dew for the silently loving stars. My poem deserves to bathe in sunlight, so it can finally stretch itself long ways on the fresh-cut grass, so its bones can finally uncreak and settle into the shape it has always known it would fit perfectly. Thank you for listening. Join my mailing list at rachelherron.com slash ready if you're feeling ready. Or if you really like the show, why not consider supporting me for a buck or two a month at patreon.com slash Rachel, that's spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L, to get my monthly long-form essays about bravery and creativity that are extremely well thought out and carefully constructed, unlike these episodes that are short and off the cuff, because if I spent all day making them perfect, I'd never get to share them with you. And if you're a writer, you might like my other podcast, How Do You Write? Okay. Now you make the leap. You're already ready. Mm-hmm.